0: We love that song. We talked about that all last week in our sermon, so that was perfect. Um, If you have children, or you are a child, kindergarten to third grade, and you are going to uh, Children's Church, uh, Melody's at the back, and you can uh, dismiss with her. uh, if you're a child and you're staying here and you'd like something to do, there's some sermon notes on the back table. There's a little bingo game that goes along with the sermon. Feel free to grab those. Uh, if you're an adult and needs something to do, you can grab one of those as well. Uh, but if you're staying, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 uh, if you want to head that direction. Uh, today we're continuing in our series that we are calling Miraculous Encounters, uh, in which we have been looking at some of the miracles of Jesus And today we're looking at a miracle that displays the hope of the gospel, that displays who Jesus is. And it is a miracle that will challenge us to walk in thankfulness uh, this Thanksgiving season. Last week, if you were with us, we saw Jesus walk on water and we saw his faithfulness in the midst of the storm. And at the end of that sermon, we looked at how we uh, are called to respond when the storms and trials come. One of the places we turned to was Philippians uh, chapter 4. And in Philippians 4, the first thing Paul calls on us to do as followers of Jesus in the midst of the storm is to rejoice and give thanks to God. Paul says, when storms come, rejoice and pray with thanksgiving. Friends, I know that many of us today are walking in the midst of storms and trials. And with thanksgiving on the horizon, we are struggling to find things to give thanks for. But as we look at this miraculous encounter today, I hope and pray that if we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior, then we leave with plenty to be thankful for. And if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, then my prayer is that today would be the day you surrender your life to him and you leave forgiven with the assurance of eternal life in him. And if you do that, then you too will have much to be thankful for this Thanksgiving. You see, as followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us we have so much to be thankful for. I read a part of it this morning, but about last week we learned Psalm 107 um, in small group. And it's just this incredible psalm of God's faithfulness to forgive and restore. But in that psalm, the psalmist makes it clear uh, that because of our forgiveness, because of God's goodness, and because of God's everlasting love, we should be people who rejoice and give thanks regularly. The people around us should know that we are different, that we are followers of Jesus because we are regularly giving thanks. Because we are filled with joy even in the midst of the storm. So as you think about your life and you think about your attitude today, are you someone that is filled with the supernatural joy of God, or are you more filled with an attitude of grumbling? Is your life marked with joy, with gratitude, with thankfulness, with praise, with compliments, or is it marked with criticism, pessimism, and negativity? And so much of our attitude comes from what we focus on. Do we focus on on the gospel and on Jesus and on our salvation and His goodness, Or do we focus on the negative uh, that so often surrounds us? One of my favorite illustrations of this comes from just a a silly short story. uh, But I like it, so you get to endure it this morning. Um, The story goes that a large uh, dog walks into a butcher shop carrying a purse in its mouth. And he puts the purse down and sits in front of the meat case. Uh, The butcher jokingly says, what is it, boy? Do you want to buy some meat? The dog goes, woof, and he barks at him. Hmm, the butcher says. He says, what kind? Do you want liver, bacon, or steak? And the dog interrupts, woof, right after steak. so The butcher says, well, how much steak would you like? Half a pound, a pound? Woof. The dog stops him again. So the amazed butcher wraps up the meat and then finds the correct amount of money in the dog's purse. But as, so as this dog leaves, the, the butcher decides, I got to figure out where this dog came from and what's going on. Well, the dog enters an apartment house. He climbs to the third floor and he begins to scratch at the door. With that The 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 door swings open and this angry man comes out yelling at the dog. The butcher says, "Stop! You have the most intelligent animal I have ever seen." The man responds, "Intelligent? That's the third time this week that he has forgotten his key." (laughs) He wasn't thankful. The man had the most phenomenal dog, but he chose to focus on the negative. We are blessed people, yet we so often choose to focus on the things we perceive we don't have, and it leads to grumbling. And criticism. That story is contrasted with the story I read this week of Matthew Henry. Uh, and Matthew Henry is well known for his expansive commentary he wrote on the Bible in the early 18th century. The story goes that Henry was once robbed and his wallet stolen. And what he wrote in his diary that night that he had been robbed and his wallet stolen were the things that he was thankful for about that incident. First, Henry wrote that he was thankful that he had never been robbed before. Second, he was thankful that they took his wallet, but they did not take his life. Third, he was thankful because although they took his wallet and they took everything, it wasn't very much. And finally, he was thankful because he was the one that robbed and was not doing the robbing. What incredible perspective and what a perspective I know that I am so often missing. So my goal for us today is to reorient us around the gospel, to remind us of who we are in Jesus and who we were before we met Jesus. And my prayer is that we would be like the one in this story that returned to give thanks, that was overwhelmed with gratitude, and who left praising his Savior. So we're in Luke uh, chapter 17, uh, verses 11 through 19, if you would like to follow along. Luke writes, now on his way, Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he, Jesus, saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Had no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, for your faith has made you well. Let's pray. dearly Father, we thank you this morning for this passage of Scripture that we get to study. We thank you for the privilege uh, of being gathered together and worshiping you. Uh, God, my prayer for us today, Lord, is that as we read this passage of Scripture, as we study it, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to what it is you want to teach us. God, my prayer, if there's someone here that that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, hasn't turned and repented and trusted you with their life, God, I pray that today would be the day that they find their hope and their salvation in you. And God, I pray for the many gathered that know you as the Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you would help us just to once again afresh uh, just see our salvation and see what you've done in our lives. And God, I pray that as we leave today, as we go uh, into this Thanksgiving week, that we would leave this building grateful and thankful for all we have in you. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling between the border of Samaria and Galilee, and he enters a village and encounters these ten men with leprosy. Ten men who were born both Jews and Samaritans, but were united by their common plight of leprosy. They had all been kicked out of their society, and they're now gathered together begging and depending on the handouts of others to live. Now, a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus uh, heal a single leper, and we spent quite a bit of time describing leprosy. So I'm not going to spend forever on it, but I do want to make sure we have a basic understanding of what was going on in these men's lives. Leprosy is a disease that attacks the body, and it ultimately leads to uh, a loss of sensation in the nerve endings, meaning that lepers don't feel pain. And at first glance, that sounds kind of like a superhero power, doesn't it? Uh, But the inability to feel feel pain leads to disaster. The inability to feel pain leads to infections, untreated wounds, broken bones, the loss of limbs, and ultimately the loss of life. Now today, leprosy is treatable, but at that time, it was a mystery, and it was believed to be incredibly contagious. To be a leper in that society was to be an outcast. They were isolated into their own communities outside of town and away from the people. They were quarantined with no hope of ever reentering society. There was no hope of a cure and no hope Of life ever returning to normal for them. They were separated from their families, their spouses, their friends, their workplaces, and for a Jewish follower, worst of all, the temple. Lepers were left physically unclean and spiritually unclean. So try just for a second to stop and put yourselves into the shoes of these ten men. One day they were married, happily working men, and then the next day they came down with a disease. And essentially everything they knew, loved, and owned was taken from them. They are isolated from the world. They were left without hope for a normal life. And they were left without hope of spiritual righteousness or even the opportunity to go and worship God. Lepers were essentially set aside to waste away until they died. They would roam together looking for food, begging for assistance from a great distance, learning to yell in loud voices both from the need to warn others and to beg for help from those across the way. What would it have been like to have been removed from friends and family for a lifetime? To have been forced to announce that removal on a daily basis? I, mean, I can't think of a worse existence. We've had a small glimpse of this in the last uh, couple of years. But imagine if a positive test didn't mean 15 days in quarantine, but it meant a lifetime in quarantine away from those you loved. That's the leopards. They had no hope until they meet the one that is the hope of the world, and even the hope of the leopard. So these lepers, they are separated from the world, but they have heard of Jesus, and they have heard of these miraculous healings that he has been doing. And then they see him coming. And for the first time in years, a glimmer of hope returns. And as they see Jesus, they yell out, essentially, Jesus, heal us. And anyone else in that society would have ignored a bunch of leopards. They would have looked away like we do when we see that person on the corner of the street trying to not make eye contact. But Jesus not only acknowledges them, but instructs them and makes a way for them to be healed. Jesus simply says, go and show yourselves to the priest, knowing that when they obey, they will be healed. And so our first point is simply this, and it is that Jesus is hope for the hopeless. In Jesus alone, there is hope for all mankind. Even those deemed to be hopeless, less than, outcast, and irrelevant. These men had no hope of healing, no hope of a normal life, no hope of ever seeing their family again or ever entering the temple. Their lives consisted of existing until death came for them. That was until they encountered Jesus, and he gave them a hope and a new life through him. And this story is good news for us, not because we are lepers or because we're in desperate physical condition, but because we, like the lepers, the Bible tells us, are unclean, are separated from God with no hope, of reconnecting with him on our own because of our sin. But just as Jesus made a way for the lepers to be healed physically, Jesus has made a way for us to be healed and restored spiritually. The lepers were hopeless because of their physical situation. And the Bible tells us that without Jesus, we are hopeless because of our sin situation. Romans 3.23 tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wage or the consequence of that sin is death and eternal separation from God. So we have all sinned and we are all hopeless and dead in our sin, the Bible says. We are hopeless, but then the hope comes in the form of Jesus. And just as Jesus gave hope to the leopards, he gives hope to us who are sinners. Perhaps my favorite verse in the Bible. Romans 5.28 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, that while we were still sinning, while we were hopeless, Jesus died for us. Jesus comes and he lives a sinless life. He dies on the cross and dies the death that our sin deserves, taking the penalty for our sins, and then he rises victorious three days later, and he gives eternal life to all that will put their faith in him. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. And so if you're here today and you feel hopeless, Jesus is that hope for you. And if you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus, then remember that Jesus still is that hope for you. And he is the only hope for you. Ephesians 2, Paul says, We are saved by grace through Jesus, not by our works so that no one can boast. We're going to get to thankfulness in a second, but as Christians, we must be reminded and rest in the fact that we were hopeless, but then we were given hope, not through anything we did, but only through Jesus. And so anytime we begin to feel ungrateful and critical and self-righteous, we need to pause and reflect on the reality that we already have been given more than we ever deserve through Jesus. And it's in Him and in the gospel that we find our gratitude and ground ourselves in. And not only should that lead to thankfulness, and we're going to get there in our lives, but it should lead to compassion and love for those far from Jesus. My favorite passage is Titus 3. I think I've said that like three times. I'll stop saying that. Uh, Titus Three, one of my favorite passages, Paul says this at one time, we too were foolish. we were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of love, the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Paul says that we are not special apart from Jesus. But we are saved through his mercy alone. And because of that, we, don't, we, we cannot be arrogant and self-righteous. But instead, we should be compassionate, slow to anger, and quick to share the hope of the gospel. Because we were just like the lepers. We were just like the world around us before we met Jesus. We were foolish, Paul says. We were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to sin before we experienced the kindness and love of Jesus. We were all those things before someone took the time to tell us. Of a Savior that loved us, and our eyes were opened, and we believed. Jesus saved us not because of our goodness, our righteousness, or because we are special, but He saved us through His mercy and grace. As Christians, we should be overwhelmed with gratitude, with compassion, and full of grace for those around us. So, this week, I want to encourage us, you and I, to spend some time reflecting on the hope we have in Jesus. And let what he has done for us drive us to give grace and mercy to those around us who do not yet know him. So This week, when you're at work, instead of getting frustrated with the people around you, have compassion on them. Notice the state they're in without Jesus and have compassion on them. Love them, serve them, show them Jesus. Instead of complaining, criticizing, and ignoring. This week, make the conscious effort to extend grace and offer hope. Jesus gives hope to the hopeless. He gives hope to you and me, and he gives hope to those around us. But Jesus, the good news here is Jesus doesn't just give us hope, but, he, but he, gives the leper, he doesn't just give the lepers hope, but he restores them, and he restores us as well when we turn and follow him. Jesus gave these men an instruction, and when they followed that instruction, Luke tells us they were healed. If they would have gotten upset because Jesus didn't heal them like he did the previous leper, they wouldn't have been healed. But when they got up and they obeyed and they followed Jesus, they experienced his healing. And that's such a beautiful picture of salvation in our lives. The lepers had to follow Jesus to be healed, just as we have to repent and follow Jesus to be healed or saved. So our next point is this, restoration takes faith. We must turn to Jesus. For the lepers, just encountering Jesus gave them hope, because they likely heard the stories of his miraculous healings in the past. So encountering Jesus, talking with him gave them hope, but it took action and faith to turn and go to the temple, to go to the priest for them to be healed physically. In the same way, just knowing the stories of Jesus, just going to church and encounter with Jesus is not enough to save us. But we must repent or turn towards him and follow him. It takes faith or action on our part to be forgiven and given new life spiritually. Spiritually. Just as the men had to respond in faith to be healed physically and given new life. It's not enough to know of Jesus. It's not enough to go to church or to grow up in a Christian home. But we must repent and stop what we are doing and follow him. And Paul says when we do that, we will be forgiven. In Romans 9, Paul says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The good news is Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. He offers forgiveness to you and to everyone else. But we must repent and follow him in order to be forgiven. In order to inherit eternal life. Just as Jesus made a way for the lepers to be healed if they followed his direction. We must repent and follow him in order to experience his healing. This means you can be someone that has heard a lot about Jesus. You can be someone that's been around Jesus in church a lot. You can be someone that's gone a church camp, maybe even been through some religious rituals, but it's possible you could have done that and never experienced forgiveness. To experience forgiveness in Jesus, you must recognize your need as a sinner, believe that He died as your substitute for sin, and turn and follow him as your Lord and Savior. Jesus has made a way for everyone. We must just turn and follow Him and ask for that forgiveness. And the good news is, if we do, Paul says, you, he will be faithful to forgive. So as you're here today, are you someone who knows a lot about Jesus or are you someone who has trusted Jesus with your life and His forgiveness? And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus with your life and asked for forgiveness of your sins, you can do that in your seat with a surrender heart. Or if you're unsure of your faith, you can remove any doubt and turn and follow him today. You can do it so simply with a surrendered heart. You can say something as simple as, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that separates me from you, but I know that you came and you lived a sinless life, that you died the death my sin deserves, that you rose victorious over death, and I want to follow you with the rest of the days of my life. I want to experience your forgiveness and your salvation. And Paul says, but when you do that with a surrendered heart, when you repent and turn to him, he is faithful to forgive and give you eternal life. So that's the good news. Salvation uh, is there. It is there for us, but we must turn and receive it. All right, verse 14. We'll move on. Uh, uh, this Luke continues, and as they went, they were cleansed, the The, the lepers. One of them, when he saw, saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So all ten, in this case, were healed of their leprosy. But only one responded with gratitude in return to give praise and thanks to God. So our next point is this that God's gift of salvation should lead to thankfulness. Please note that it says should and not will. In the case of this story, ten are healed, but only one returns to give thanks. And so that's an indication that thankfulness is the proper response, but it's not automatic, it's a choice. I think we can often wrap our mind around saying thank you for a meal or for a ride or for a service, but how do we say thank you and show our gratitude to God for our salvation? We see that in the life of this leper who returns. In fact, it says that this leper is so overwhelmed and he is so overcome by the situation and emotion that he returns praising Jesus in a loud voice and he falls at Jesus' feet. Over and over when you read the Bible, the response to God, to who he is and to his goodness, is complete humility or to fall prostrate on the ground like this man. Jesus heals him. He recognizes who Jesus is, and he can't even kneel in his presence. The only response is to fall down. So salvation should lead to incredible humility in the presence of God and immense gratitude. This one man gets it. He has been given hope again. He has been given his life back, and he is so overwhelmed with emotion that he can't not praise his Savior. In the same way, we have been saved from so much more than a physical ailment. We have been taken from death to life. So in the same way, we should be overwhelmed with humility, overwhelmed with thanksgiving for what God has done for us. Yet all too often, we take it for granted, and we become like the other men, indifferent, bitter, grumpy and self-righteous now we don't know why the other ten or other nine uh, didn't return to say thank you perhaps some of them were worried that the healing might not stick perhaps others figured they would say thank you at a later time maybe another assumed they were already on their way to being healed before they met jesus or maybe they assumed they didn't have that bad of a case and it was going to heal itself but whatever the reason they didn't deem thankfulness necessary and they just went on with their lives the reality is, as Christians, many of us do the same. We believe many of the same lies. Some of us determine that our situation wasn't that desperate, so instead of giving our lives to Jesus out of gratitude, we continue to live our lives for ourselves, our desires, and our pleasures. Some are skeptics. Some don't believe that, that Jesus could actually have forgiven them. Some believe the lie that they earned it. Others begin to believe the lie that their situation wasn't that, wasn't that bad. We've all heard the lies, and we've all began to believe them at times. The lies of, you know, you're a pretty good person. The lie that God didn't have that much to forgive you for. The lie that God is lucky to have you on his team. The lie that God couldn't forgive you for what you have done. The lie that all paths lead to heaven. So what do we have to be grateful for? But those lies caused us to miss the reality. And that reality is we were spiritually dead people with no hope when Jesus died for us. And it is through him alone that we have been given abundant life. Every one of us was taken from dead to alive. And we have something to be immensely grateful for. When the gospel, our life in Jesus, is not at the center of everything we do and believe about ourselves, everything we do and believe about the world, then we begin to slip from an attitude of gratitude to an attitude of grumbling. So we as Christians, me, myself, we must be constantly reminded of who we are in Christ, who we were before Christ, and the forgiveness we have in him. When the gospel is at the forefront of our thinking, we can't begin to be self-righteous and boast because the gospel says it was only Jesus. It was only Jesus that we were saved. We can't become fearful in this life because we're reminded of the security we have in Jesus. truth is that God meets us in all of our need and he has rescued us when we become anxious we're reminded that God meets us in all that need and he is our high priest that sympathizes with us that he has overcome it all the gospel the story of Jesus must remain at the center of our lives and thanking if we want to live a life of joy and thankfulness the gospel cannot be something we take for granted or we will become like the nine who took Jesus healing for granted and missed the relationship with him When we understand the gospel, when we understand the sacrifice of Jesus, the unending love and mercy of God, we can't not give thanks and give our lives back to him. Matt Redman had a song, a worship song in the late 90s that I grew up singing uh, that I love that captures this. He wrote, the lyrics go, Jesus Christ, I thank upon your sacrifice. You became nothing poured out to death. Many times I've wondered at your gift of life and I'm in this place once again. The chorus says, and once again, I look upon the cross where you died. I'm humbled by your mercy, and I'm broken inside. So once again, I say thank you, and once again, I pour out my life. When we focus on the gospel, the salvation we have in Jesus, instead of the things of this world, we can't be helped but be filled with thankfulness, with praise, and we can't help but give our lives back to Jesus. But this is challenging, isn't it? Because we are constantly bombarded by the reality that we are less than or have less than than those around us. And the truth is, if we live our lives looking at others, we will be discouraged. We will be frustrated and we will grow jaded and critical. And so the call for us as Christians is to lift our eyes to Jesus, to lift our eyes to the gospel and to be reminded of who we are in him. Psalm 100 is another incredible psalm of thanksgiving that helps kind of reorient our lives around the truth. It says, "Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is good, the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, because the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues from generation to generation. We give thanks to God because He is good." Because his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues from generation to generation. We give thanks because he created us. We are his and because he is God. So one of the keys to being thankful people is to be constantly reminded of who God is. The other way we, remind, we remain thankful, joyful, and grateful people is reminded of who we are. One of the keys, I think, to understanding why this one man returns and not the other nine are the last four words of verse 16. And those last four words are verse 16 are this. They are, the man was a Samaritan. Those last four words would have been shocking to the people that Jesus was with. He was a Samaritan. Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were seen as a half-breed, and they were the unlikeliest of heroes. When these ten men were lepers, they were united by their status as outcasts, as lepers. But when they were healed, that was taken away. And those that were Jews likely felt elevated and restored over the Samaritan. They felt better than. But this man knew his need. He knew his restoration and it led to gratitude. But here's the troubling reality. We are much more like the Jews than we are the Samaritans. And because of that, sometimes gratitude is more difficult for us. The Jews believed that they were God's chosen and special people. And they had developed this sense of entitlement. But in the same way, most of us are middle-class, hard-working, good-peopled Americans. And we, like the Jews, have bought into the lie that we are good people and that God kind of owes us. We bought into the lie that he loves us more than the rest of the world. And in that, we often miss the direness of our situation and the extent of the rescue because our life is pretty good. And we can manage and do a lot on our own. The Samaritan leper, on the other hand, he got the direness of his situation. He understood that he was physically unclean. He understood that he was culturally unclean. He understood that he was spiritually unclean. This man had no hope in this world or the next. But that reality is true of all of mankind. All of mankind, no matter where they were born, no matter their race, no matter their income or education level, the Bible says is in desperate need of a Savior. There is absolutely nothing special about us as middle-class Americans. We are just as desperate and just in need of a Savior as those born into a Muslim family in the Middle East. There is nothing special about us except for Jesus. Our situation was desperate, and because of that, our gratitude should be extravagant. The reality in our lives is that sin has separated us and isolated us from God and killed us spiritually. The reality of God's grace and salvation through Jesus Christ is that God has torn down the walls of that isolation and given us life anew through Jesus. If you were dying of a heart attack and the doctor brought you back to life, they cleaned out your heart and they made it work like new again, you would not have the mindset that, well, I had a pretty good heart beforehand and it probably would have figured it out. No, you would fall down on your knees and thank everyone that had been a part of the rescue. That's what God has done for us. He's taken us from death to life. The Samaritan understood who he was apart from Jesus' healing touch. And then he understood who he was afterwards. And when we fail to understand our depravity before our salvation in Jesus, and when we fail to understand our complete forgiveness through him, then we miss it. And we miss out on being thankful, joyful, and grateful people. So again, this week, as we all stop to eat, as we stop to watch football and hang out with friends and family, Take a moment and reflect on what God has done for you. Not just the material things, but the eternal life he has offered you. If you are a believer, no matter what you are going through, you have something profound to be grateful for this Thanksgiving season. The Samaritan completely understood who he was before Jesus. He understood who he was as a leper, and he recognized who he was after Jesus' healing touch. And when he recognized that, he couldn't help but worship his Savior. He couldn't help but follow his feet and give thanks. So our salvation should lead to thankfulness. And our final point is this. Our thankfulness should lead to action. Jesus commends the Samaritan and then he sends him out. Gratitude is the proper response to our salvation and the grace God has shown us. And it is our gratitude that that is the foundation for every action after accepting God's salvation. Gratitude is the foundation for our worship. It's out of gratitude that we serve. It's out of gratitude that we give. It's out of gratitude that we love. It's out of gratitude that we share the hope of the gospel with others. And it is out of gratitude that we shine for Jesus and strive to bring him glory with our life. We're going to go back to Psalm 107 real quickly. Psalm 107, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. But then the psalmist gives us a command. And the command is the redeemed. And the command is to proclaim the good news of the Lord to the world. Friends, we have been saved through Jesus alone. That should lead to gratitude that impacts all we do. And we are to be people that proclaim that good news to the world around us. We should speak with thankfulness the world cannot understand. We should live with gratitude, surrender to our Savior. We should have compassion and patience even in the midst of the craziness of this world. And we know the world's crazy. We should walk through our days differently. We should walk through the good times with humility And thankfulness, and we should walk through the trials with peace that's only available in Jesus. Our friends and our family should notice that we are a people filled with gratitude and thankfulness. A gratitude and thankfulness that is only possible in light of the gospel. Gratitude and joy in Jesus is something our world does not have. And when we show gratitude, it sets us apart and gives us a platform to share the hope that we have. When we are the ones who don't jump on the criticism train at work, When we are the ones that tell our teachers thank you instead of complaining about everything that we don't like. When we are the ones that that focus on the positives and not the negatives. And it gives us a platform to share the hope of Christ's love. When we focus on the positive things going in our lives and celebrate those. When we focus on the positives in our community instead of all the things that drive us nuts. It gives us a platform to share the hope of Jesus with our friends and family. Reality is, there will always be problems in our world. But we in Christ have hope. We have forgiveness. We have security beyond the issues of the world. Because of this, we have Christ to dwell on, and we can be grateful no matter what situation we are facing. But it takes a decision. We have to choose to lift our eyes to the gospel, to live in gratitude for Jesus, and to stop acting like the world and complaining and criticizing. So again, my challenge for you this week, as you prepare to cook as you prepare to shop, as you prepare to travel, as you prepare to clean, as you prepare for guests, take some time and lift your eyes from the preparation, from the world, from the task at hand, and spend some time resting in the reality of the gospel. Spend some time thinking about your salvation, thinking about God's goodness, thinking about his love that endures forever, and let that shape your attitude this week. Real practically, take some time and write out your salvation story. As you write out, give thanks that Jesus revealed himself to you and he saved you in his mercy. Share that story of hope with someone you love. On the bottom of your sermon notes, another thing you do is I've written out some of my favorite psalms of thanksgiving. Read some of those, and as you read them, pray and give thanks. Share that gratitude with your family and friends. Or take some time this week and make a list of the things you are thankful for in your spiritual life, in your daily life, in your family, in your community, in your home. Make a list and give thanks for all that God has done. Take some time to stop focusing on the negative and focus on the positives. At Thanksgiving, as you sit around your meal, one of our favorite family traditions is we go around the table and everyone gives one thing that they are thankful for uh, this season. Send a thank you card to someone you love. Or you can make the turkey hand. Has everyone made the turkey hand? You like trace your hand and turn it into a turkey, right? Write five thankful things on there. Great way to give thanks and hang that on your wall. So as we wrap up, if you find yourself being critical and complaining this week, try and pray and pause and let those, uh, before you let those thoughts go on and on. Lift your eyes to Jesus and give thanks. Uh, and if, again, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, that is something we would love to share with and talk with you today. So I'm going to pray for us. So I pray Aaron's going to come. He's going to lead us in one uh, final song. Um, but let me pray for us first. Dear Lord, we thank you for the salvation and hope we have available in you. We thank you that you have saved us, uh, not because of anything we have done, not because of our goodness or our righteousness, but you have saved us because of your grace and your mercy. So, God, I pray again, if there's someone that doesn't know you here today or watching online, God, we pray that you would open their hearts and their mind to the salvation available in you. God, and you would give them the courage to repent and to turn and trust you. And, Lord, for the many that are here or watching that are saved, God, we give thanks. We give thanks that you came and saved us from all of our sin, from all of our dysfunction and craziness, that you came to us and you saved us. So, God, I pray this week that you would help us to lift our eyes uh, from the situations and from the troubles and trials of this world to you, and that we would rest in your goodness, that we would rest in your love that endures forever, that we would rest in our salvation, and it would lead us to give thanks.
1: God, we love you. It's your name we
0: pray. Amen.
1: We're going to sing a couple of verses of Amazing Grace, written by a guy a lot like the Samaritan we just heard about, had an encounter with Jesus that radically changed his life. So, once you stand, we're going to sing uh, just two verses. Uh, we're going to try this acapella this morning. It goes like this Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there, 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Thank you, Aaron.
0: That was uh, not only joyful, but much prettier than my acapella would have been. So thank you for being here. Uh, if you are new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card somewhere in the area of you. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and placing that in the box on the back table, we'd appreciate it. It's also where you can place your tithes and offerings if you consider this your uh, church home. Uh, and then a few announcements. Uh, we have a small group that meets here at the church from 6 to 7 on Sunday nights. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, we have youth group and kids night that meets here at the church, uh, and we'll meet this Wednesday uh, from 6 to 7. If you got questions, there's a list of people you can ask. Uh, we'd love to join, have you join us uh, for that. And then uh, starting next week, we'll get past uh, Thanksgiving so we can decorate for Christmas. Uh, the Giving Tree will be back out in um, the lobby, and that's an opportunity to help and bless local families in need. Um, it'll be up there next Sunday. We need the gifts wrapped and returned by December 12th so they can be delivered Um, And then lastly, we are making um, some schedules for uh, greeters, for cleaning, uh, and for preschool and children's ministry. If you are interested in any of those, you can come and see me, and I will uh, direct you to my wife, or you can just go directly to my wife, and uh, she will get you signed up. Um, But we would love for you to uh, help us in those areas. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We hope you have a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving, and we hope to see you again next week.